Ah, the heat is on. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol, Factor 50 Moran, and here's what you might have missed on your radio today. When the Holy Father came here on his visit to Ireland, he said um, most, one of the most important things is dignity and respect, and that's what we have been doing here. And I hope and pray that that dignity and respect will always continue as long as the Capuchin Day Centre will be working here. Yeah, so in developed countries, about 40% of us spend at least two thirds of our day sitting down. Because it's been an emotional few days because the level of hate has been crazy for trying to just get a goat out of the Sorry, the, the, the level of hate to who? Uh, well, like I, well, to lots of people, but including myself, everything from misogyny to telling me I'm looking for attention. And- and we'll start with Jerry Murphy from Met Aaron talking to Brian Dobson on the News at One about the current hot, hot weather. So Met Aaron has extended its status yellow high temperature warning to the entire country with maximum daytime temperatures expected to reach 27 to 29 degrees and nighttime values staying above 15 degrees. The warning took effect at midday and remains in place for today and tomorrow. Jerry Murphy is senior forecaster at Met Air and he joins us now. Jerry, thanks for talking to us on the programme. These uh, certainly are record-breaking temperatures for the month of August. Uh, yes, indeed, Brian. Well, it, it's um, very, very hot weather. Just to mention one thing you said, that the warning will extend right the way up until the end of Saturday. So to today's warning for Leinster and Munster, that will extend to all of the country tomorrow and will also include Saturday as well. So very hot weather in store. Uh, it, we may see records broken, but the highest, the record-breaking temperature for August is 31.5 degrees. So we may not just reach that level, although there is a possibility that that we could. But nonetheless, really, right across the country for tomorrow, Friday, and right the way through Saturday, very hot weather in store. Temperatures in the high 20s, virtually everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting that while we don't have that yellow warning extended out to Sunday, Sunday will also be a hot day, though possibly not as widespread. So we may be updating the warning uh, we may be updating our warnings for Sunday as we go through the next couple of weekends. But certainly the yellow level high temperature warning is really for all of the country for tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. And those nighttime temperatures, uh, Jerry, again, uh, really not, not, much, not much relief for people after dark. Uh, not much relief for people after dark, especially in Leinster and Munster. Possibly in parts of Connacht and Ulster, the nighttime temperatures won't be quite as oppressive. But really, over much of the country, those very high nighttime temperatures uh, can be expected 14, 15 degrees in many places. And this uh, will basically mean that there won't be that much relief. So, it's really important both during the day and at night for people to be very well hydrated and to take all the advice from the various bodies in relation to uh, making sure that they are acclimatised as best as possible for both the hot days and the very warm nights as well. And generally your, your advice to people, particularly those who are, who are vulnerable, um, to if you, if, you are, if you are at risk, if you do fall into that kind of category, you're best really staying out of some of these, uh, the highest temperatures in the middle of the day or the afternoon. 
Absolutely, uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, there is the threat of heat stress, especially in the very, very young or the very old. Also, to uh, something that's not mentioned always is that animals can, pets and animals can uh, be uh, prone to heat stress as well. But for humans then as well, the solar UV index will be high. So people spending a lot of time in the sun, there's very little cloud around, so the risk of sunburn will be very high. And the best, the best um, preventative of that is to stay in the shade and stay out of the sun for uh, as much uh, time as possible Mm -hmm. and then all is of course people having said all that people will be out and about Mm -hmm. over the weekend so water safety will be paramount for people to take great care whether they're by the sea or by the lakes and then there's very dry weather associated with all this too which means then that the risk of wildfires will be prevalent as well so all of these factors need to be taken into account while people at the same time enjoy all the fine weather. Jerry Murphy from the News at One with Brian Dobson then later Claire was on the live line with Joe talking about summer bites. Claire, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? Good. Well, how are you? You haven't been bitten in the last few days, I hope. Um, I have. Two okay. days ago. A horse fly um, and, and mosquitoes. And so what? every week, for about five or six weeks of the year, for the last couple of years, they seem to just be attracted to me in the summertime. And what reaction and, you get? Um, a, big, a big reaction, like a swelled lump on my arm and very hot, very itchy at night, and quite sore and painful. So I used to have to take antibiotics, and then I started taking zinc and vitamin D, which helped. Mm-hmm. But I still have to take antihistamine and anticortisone. And I'm just wondering really if your listeners got a secret remedy or a natural um, yeah. preventative. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad about giving out tips on radio about... What, 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 do you think there is a mystery nettles mixed with horse dung or something? Do you think there think is? There, would you there not have heard about it? Would you, might have, be... would you not have heard about it, Claire? Well, I possibly could have. I mean, a lot of people say, honey, um, <clears throat> or they say take vitamin B12. And I'm just wondering, are there any other sufferers who get bad mm. bad lump on their arm or a bad reaction? And is there, can you... Can you spray beforehand? Is there any repellent you can I've tried put on everything? All brands you? of jungle juice and OTAN and DEET. Okay. Um, but to, to no avail. To no avail. Nothing so you get big work. lumps. You get it, what? You, do you, what? What sensations do you get? Do you feel nauseous or? Uh, yes, I, I begin to feel very tired and nauseous for a day and a half after mm. it happens. Um, oh, the interesting God. thing is, is it's horse flies and mosquitoes I react the same way um, and have you have you met anyone or even in conversation said oh I, I get the same reaction not as bad no okay yes not as bad Mos- so I kind of know mosquitoes. for a couple of weeks in the summer I'm going to get bitten <laughs> mosquitoes mosquito yeah and horse fly and where are the mosquitoes in Ireland? I know that they are in Ireland, obviously, and around um, But I'm living around the Black water. Rock area, and we have seen them in our garden. Is this Black Rock in Dublin? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, the horse flies are everywhere, obviously. We're, we're down in the northwest yeah. at the moment, and I could see the horse fly on me. Oh, God. And I tried to pull it off two days ago, but unfortunately it got its teeth into me. <laughs> can, you feel, um, can you feel the horse fly actually biting? Yeah, you can feel like a, there is a, a sting, sharp is penetration on your skin. Yeah. And then there's nothing oh, for a okay. couple of hours and then it gets very red 
big large lump and it swells. Oh no, that's Claire on the live line with Joe Duffy. And then later, Catherine Thomas was taking a look at Dublin Zoo to see how the animals were faring in the heat. We arrived at the Phoenix Park. We went quite early and it was just magical because it was quiet. It wasn't very busy. Um, the animals were just waking up. Uh, you could see there was lots of different animals. You could see the elephants stretching and there was this sort of, in the elephant enclosure particularly, um, because it was so hot even already at the early parts of the day, there was kind of a dust um, radiating up off the ground and they were already in the water trying to cool themselves down. It was uh, it was just magical. The first person we met was Karen Carragy, who's a zookeeper there and I asked Karen how were they doing in the heat? We're lucky with the elephants there from a hot climate um, so they're kind of used to it but at the same time these guys a lot of them most of them have lived in Ireland their whole lives so they're not quite used to it either um, but they're very water friendly animals so they love swimming they love getting wet they love rolling around in mud and dust bathing and cooling themselves down. So they're very well equipped to deal with it when it does come. So we're, we're lucky here at the elephants that we've got lots of ways to keep them cool. Mm, and the elephants, you know, as she said, or um, love the bit of heat. There's lots of animals in the zoo that that uh, that don't. And I suppose a bit like us, some are some are used to the heat, some are not, some like it, some don't. Um, so we wanted to know which of the animals are in their element when the sun comes out. Lemurs are quite fond of the heat. You'll often see them sunbathing. Um sometimes really dragging it in. A lot of the animals will spend some time sunbathing and they'll enjoy it for a while. Even the elephants, even though they like to keep cool, they will spend a little bit of time, they'll have a snooze in the sun when it's warm enough. As long as they always have the option of getting cool again and going into the shade. So they're probably a bit like ourselves. They'll enjoy it to a point and then take themselves out of it. Mm, absolutely. And keeping animals hydrated. I mean, that's that's what a lot of the keepers are doing, running around loads of water and making sure every one of them are, are, are hydrated because it's so important. Um, and the zoo, they make these special icy treats um, and Karen was telling me about them. So they're not the kind of icy treats that you would say find in your local shop. So we can also make them ice treats as well, which we do frequently. So a lot of the primate species will get fruit and veg frozen as well into little... uh, We use the same thing that you'd make a little ice pop at home. So they have their little own individual ice lollies. And then for the animals like the cats and things, you can also make things called... We call them blood lollies, um, which don't sound that appetising. But uh, basically, we obviously feed them on meat. That's what they eat. And they get a lot of um, blood comes out of that as well. So we can keep that aside and freeze it as well. And it's a nice treat for them and they'll lick that and it'll cool them down and it's tasty if you're a carnivore <laughs> well, give me a wibbly wobbly wonder any day I leave the blood lollies to the lions at the zoo but um, as we know we all love to have an old dip um, in this weather and the elephants are no different and one piece of equipment that they love to see brought out is their water cannon so we have our own it's like a it has the power of a fire hose I suppose so it gives them a really good blast which they're well able for and sometimes they'll run away a little bit but they always run straight back to you and you know what my next question is can I have a go absolutely (laughs) oh I cannot tell you so this was such a privilege we walked around the back of the elephant enclosure and we walked up the steps through a load of bamboo um, and up there another zookeeper Albert Pammies was his name he is um, in charge of the elephants and he basically is in charge of power hosing them and using the water uh, cannons and he let us have a go and we just doused that they were so happy there was four elephants there I think Dina Yasmin Anik and uh, Kabir and they were the happiest elephants in the world at this very moment. Let's give them a bit of water. Oh, look oh. at that. 
It's like they kind of have to work up to it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they just only like this one. He wants Look a drink. So. So Kabir is just standing here, right underneath the water spout. Yeah. So he's decided he doesn't want to shower. He just wants a drink. Yep. Oh my God, he reminds me of all of us the last couple of days. Oh, they just love that water. They were all gathering around and lifting up their trunks. Some wanted to get wet, some wanted to have a drink. And they were just ducking in and out of the stream. And it really was just like watching kids running through a sprinkler. Just the absolute joy of it. Catherine Thomas in the afternoon. And in the morning, as we approach spider mating season, arachnophobes like me are cowering at the thought of our eight-legged friends coming out and into the house. But the brilliant zoologist Collie Ennis was chatting to Oliver Callan about arachnids and whether they're getting, whisper it, bigger. I don't know if you heard us, but I was ranting on yesterday about spiders and they do feel like they're much bigger than they were when I was when I was a child. And, and especially when you're a child and you think things are you know, shrink when you get older and um, lots of anecdotal people kind of talk about there's definitely something going on with the spiders the heat wave it's doing it we have we must have spiders coming in from Costa Rica or somewhere what's going on <laughs> so we'll start are spiders bigger now around the place in Ireland than they were when we were little? Absolutely not No I think what's happening at the moment is kind of similar to it's like a mini version of what happened with Covid because people are out in their gardens, because it's lovely and sunny, they're just noticing stuff that's already there. It's always been there and they just hadn't been out because generally we have terrible <laughs> summers and, and people would be out sitting, uh, lying in the grass and, and looking up at their bushes and watching wasps and spiders have little battles and all <laughs> yeah, these yeah. kind of things that are, that are going on all the time. And um, because people are obviously indoor and they're saying that they're more active now. Uh, well, people have seen the spiders, so th- there is no change to the size of the spider or the population or the variation of species we've had, no? The only new species we've gotten in recently is the false widow spider and everybody knows about them. Yeah, yeah. They were, they've been introduced to the country. Apart from them though, the really big spiders you see are the European house spiders and they're, they've always been in their houses. These are the spiders your great-great-great-grandparents would have been dealing with and probably would have had a lot more interaction with because... Um, over the years uh, we've become a lot more uh, clean and, and the house proud about yeah. our houses as in like you know the windows are better and the spiders have a harder time getting in but uh, no they're always there they're always in your house they're always around you do tend to notice them a lot more towards the end of the summer into the yeah. autumn and th- there's nothing because the people are saying uh, there's more webs and stuff which you do expect in September mm. when there be- what's going on in September by the way when is it mating season for mating spiders? season okay. it's the forlorn lovelorn uh, <laughs> male spiders going out looking to uh, find a female in her web and perform a little dance for her try and entice her out so he can mate with her and then he'll try and move on to another female but generally she'll make a snack out of him Oh wow! Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty tough life Hence being a male the spider. Female of the species yeah, is exactly. more deadlier than the male. Exactly. Um, uh, are they more active? Are, are they kind of coming into that mating season now? Are we seeing them more active now than they would have been a month ago? So why you're noticed? Why why or why people are noticing more now is because they're starting to fatten up. They're starting to. It's been a good year for spiders. There's been a a, a lot of bugs around. Oh, um, th- it's been quite warm because quite of lack muggy. of frost or something. Is it? Or? Uh, it's it's warm and muggy and um, invertebrates kind of love that kind of okay. weather and and it it's it's been good for spiders because they can eat a lot. At this time of year, you're going to see 
your orb web spiders in the garden that make the big webs around your rose bushes and your your, yeah, your, your the hedges. Yeah, the amazing ones that you see with the dew on them. Exactly. Morning, yeah. yeah, beautiful to look at. First thing in the morning with some dew dripping off it, and and they're getting big now. They'll start to produce eggs towards the end of the summer as well, which will overwinter, and then the whole cycle will start again next year. And most of our okay. spiders will have a uh, more more or less all our uh, spiders will have a, a kind of an annual cycle. Very good. And you have what is it? The orb one is the is the nice kind of elegant one with the long legs. Well, this I don't is, mind that one so much. This is the cellar spider. This is the one that oh. yeah, that people will find around cold, damp places in their house, bathrooms, kitchens, under your under your sink. Yeah. And these guys have really long legs, very spindly looking, very delicate looking. But if you don't like spiders, these are the spiders to have around your house because they're actually spider eating specialists. Oh, great. Well, and I think that's the nicest looking one because it's, <laughs> it is like a, it, it, minding its own business, doesn't want to run across your face. Or it's very right. dainty. It stays it in the web. It's, it doesn't go onto the ground. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't stick out so much because its legs are so You'd thin. see at the odd time in the shower after you have unwittingly um, yeah, covered in water and it's just, it looks all sad. Yes. In the pool of water with all its legs splayed <laughs> out like a kind of a giraffe of the um, spider kingdom. Oh, dainty and stays in its own web. Cellar spiders sound okay to me. So what about the other ones? What is the one that we don't so much like? <laughs> this is that. This is the one I saw. Yeah, I'll hand that over to Okay, you I'm looking at it here in a little plastic. Show. Oh my God, it's so... so this is, yeah, this is a stereo, uh, stereotypical don't. one that everybody will think yeah. of and it's the giant European house spider and this is the one you find in your sink or your bath after uh, a male will go wandering around looking for a female and slip into the bath and not all spiders are great climbers believe it or not these guys can't really uh, get a grip on the 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 edge of the bath so they end up just sitting there and people think that they come out with the plug holes and you know they're they're falling from the ceiling and all these things but it's just a it's just a male spider generally going for a wander and he falls in the bath and can't get out got hairy legs and everything <laughs> yeah. on it and like a little stinger at the back they're, they're those things That's at the back around. those things at the back are actually where the web come out of oh right so uh, behind them yeah Spinnerets, they're called. They didn't put that in Spider-Man, did they? Would have been no, a totally no. different uh, would, comic. If, if he was uh, anatomically <laughs> correct, he'd look very odd indeed, <laughs> swinging from his backside. But um, yeah, so they're the spinnerets, and that's where the silk is produced from. Um, they're, it, they're 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 really harmless. They look very scary, though. It moves a lot. Yes, the they're actually in the Guinness Book of Records as the fastest spider on earth now I don't particularly believe that because I've seen what I think are faster spiders but running. if you're to look it up <laughs> that's what that's what they, they, okay. they say they are it's gross to be honest it's gross <laughs> sorry um, I'm not um, gonna I'm not gonna convert you I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but people in uh, with sash windows in particular when you lift up the window and you can kind of see through the glass into mm-hmm. you'll see all those little kind of cotton wool things yes are they on, they're around all year round but they're kind of are they made in September by the female spider. Yes, so they're the egg sacs and not all egg sacs will hatch out, not all of them will be fertile or okay. successful and that's when you get these kind of mummified egg sacs around your... Around so your they're kind of dormant and they're really hard sac. to get off, they're incredible. Very hard to get off, yeah, because yeah, they're quite strong. You know, spider yeah. silk is a really strong material that we're trying to copy uh, for industry for for sewing up uh, wounds after an operation because it's, you know, pound for pound, it's it's much much stronger than even steel it's it's wow. really really a, a great material these so are the you, guys who produce those things around your oh uh, is it okay let's have wind, you can you describe this yeah. this one so um, it's a very small yeah, spider it's called a, a lace web and it's dark 
they this is the one that plays dead, is it, sometimes? Oh, they all do if they, they were to do. drop their uh, 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 web. But this guy, would uh, they really love windowsills. They love your sheds. They do make a very lacy kind of a, like something, you know, you'd see on the edge of a, of a, your granny's kind of... Um, <laughs> Cookery, the plates, the 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 lacy kind of stuff. That oh they put yeah, out. yeah. And the kind of a doily. Yeah, doily. That's <laughs> yeah. the word Do- I was looking for. Doily. Yeah. So I that's the kind of web they make in a room. Because sometimes you're amazed at how you've just left a room and then you, you go to the bathroom, watch a film, you come back in, and right across the doorway or even a wider space, there's now suddenly a a web. Yeah, a web. They're, they're they're quite fast. Actually, baby spiders are, are fantastic at getting around, and they use webs like uh, balloons. Believe it or not, and it is called ballooning. So. I'll show you some baby spiders here this that have just hatched. Oh out yeah, this is the um, little cotton wool thing that's yeah. in your window, and uh, so you have it in a you, you can in see there's literally hundreds of them in that there's jar hundreds. there. These, oh my god, and they've so all many. come out of the the cocoon there, the the the, the egg sac. They're like tick sized spiders, but they literally just less than the size of a pinhead. And for them to travel around, it would take a, a long time for them to walk. So what a lot of spider species do is they stick their little backside up into the air and spin out some web at that size. And then the wind or some heat from the ground will ca- catch them and carry them off and they'll land and start up a new life. So these things are exploding in our windowsills. <laughs> and so what the, flying what away. What they grow? How quickly do they grow then into? So about a year, that would be an adult. After, you know, so uh, from that size to a fully grown adult in a year and depending on prey and... They're not moving at all, these ones. Are they real? No. Oh, I see one moving. Yeah, <laughs> okay, right, that's kind of gross too. <laughs> And what's going on in September? Because it's the, the women are in the windowsills laying the eggs. So the spiders you see inside running around very active are the males. males. Are they looking for attention? The way the spiders work is the females stay put and the male ha- has to go looking for the females. They're generally a lot smaller than the females. So when they are off wandering, that's when we see them. Each species will have a different way of trying to impress the female by d- doing a little drum or a dance or pinging her web or what, some of them even bring like flies as, as little gifts for the females so it's, it's all very interesting oh. and varied it's like uh, Love Island for arachnids but uh, <laughs> they all have their little talents uh, and then once the mating has occurred then she'll start fattening up produce the egg sacs they'll either hatch out if it's warm enough or stay there over winter and hatch out in the spring and then the cycle starts again. Stay Wow, they, they, they will mm-hmm. take that long sometimes. Yeah. Um, people say, oh, the best way to get rid of a spider is, uh, is to spray peppermint, you know, get peppermint oil into water, spray it in the corners. Does it work? There's been some research done into it and certain uh, things like citrus, a little bit of peppermint do make a small difference, but... It's it's not going to keep spiders out your house, unfortunately. They're, they're always going to be here and around our homes. Well, I do spray a lot of peppermint oil on my windowsills and rarely see spiders inside. Good luck, arachnophobes. We know they're our friends, really. Collie Ennis talking to Oliver Callan in the morning. And after a long lifetime of caring and advocating for homeless and people in hard times... Brother Kevin is retiring at the age of 87. Brother Kevin Crowley at the Capuchin Day Care Centre. Good morning to you. And good morning to you. Everyone is going to be delighted to hear that you are retiring, but they're going to be very sad to see you go. Was it a difficult decision? Well, yes, I have been thinking about it for some time. Uh, I'm 87 years of age and uh, my health is deteriorating. And I feel it's time 
to to hand over and let younger blood come along and uh, do maybe a better job than what I have been doing. But I feel that the time has come when uh, there is room for improvement. I'm sorry to hear that your, your health is deteriorating. What a legacy, though, you are passing on. Look what you have created at the, the Capuchin Centre. Though I suppose you'd say you're sorry that there is still a need for it. Yeah, I am indeed. I'm deeply sorry to see that uh, in 2022 there's still a great need for the, the service that we are providing. Because when we started in 1969, <clears throat> we had about... Uh, 50 people coming to the centre and that time the problem was to drink and now each morning we opened our doors and we'd have anything up to about 200 people for breakfast and then in the afternoon we could have anything from 600 maybe to 700 for dinner that's six days a week then on a Wednesday morning we give out food parcels and up to about about five or six years ago we had about maybe 200 coming for food parcels but now we'd have anything over a thousand each Wednesday morning and then as well as that we're helping uh, mothers and babies for baby food and baby napkins and all that is very 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 sad to see I think at 2022 we still have that much poverty in Ireland and I'm still concerned about the future what I'm witnessing at the moment, the number of people that are coming here and they're in fear of the unknown, of the way, the first of all, the housing situation is a problem. So many people have difficulties in finding houses. And then with the rents, it's also going to be impossible. So I'm sort of sad in a way that I'm leaving in a time where there is still poverty and where there are still people in great needs. What you have put in place will continue and continue to do the work that you've been doing. I'm just wondering, though, with 50 years of uh, devotion to, to, to your work with the homeless, um, have you ever had time to develop any hobbies? <laughs> well, I suppose my greatest hobby would be to make sure that the homeless people are being secured. And I suppose without the generosity of so many people in Ireland, uh, we would not be able to do what we are doing. Because I, I, I don't believe in fundraising and I depend entirely on the generosity of the people. And I have no doubt now that I am leaving that they will continue with that generosity. So many people, first of all, I suppose, it, it all started off the, the fundraising from the Martyr Hospital and then all different groups of people start uh, coming along in and doing various sorts of fundraising funds. And our our costs, our running costs, will be about three point four million, and we get four hundred fifty fifty thousand from the government. So, without the generosity of people, we would certainly would not survive. Dublin and the Capuchins are going to miss you. You're you're a Cork man, of course, a West Cork man. And yes, you're heading you're heading to Cork City. I am heading to Holy Trinity in Cork, and I'm looking forward to uh, my the friends that I have in Cork. But I, I certainly will uh, miss my friends here in Dublin. I miss uh, the um, when the Dublin team won their All-Ireland Finals. They always came in here with the cup. But I'm, I hope that maybe the next time it will be Cork will be coming here with the cup rather than the Dubs. <laughs> I, I suspect as well. Uh, nobody's more deserving of the free travel than you are, that maybe you'll be able to come up and down a little bit and keep up with your friends as well. Uh, I find it hard to believe, though, you're going to be idle in Cork. Uh, 
When, at, what do you expect an old fellow at 87 <laughs> years of age? What can you do? Uh, I'll enjoy the beauty of Cork and the great friendship of the people in Cork. But as I said, I'll, I'll miss uh, the friends in Dublin. But most particularly, I'll miss the homeless people. These are my great friends. And when the Holy Father came here, when his visit to Ireland, he said, um, most, one of the most important things is dignity and respect. And that's what we have been doing here. And I will hope and pray that that dignity and respect will always continue as long as the Capuchin Day Centre will be working here. Brother Kevin Crowley talking to Mary Wilson from Morning Ireland. And on today with Philip Outer Hayes, working from home with your laptop at your kitchen table or on your bed. Well, Dr. Derek Cawley, a spinal surgeon at the Matter Private, was talking about caring for your back while you work from home. Can we start, please, with some myths about back pain? What do you hear most frequently? I hear a lot of them um, every day, in fact. Uh, the way I would look at it is that you got your traditional myths and you got your conventional myths. Um, the traditional ones were, of course, were people would have gone to somebody to put a foot in their back and that that would click their disc back into place. And that's not true. No more than we can't, unfortunately, uh, turn a wrinkle back into younger looking skin or a grey hair back into a younger looking hair. So a degenerate disc, if it's degenerate, it's degenerate. And while it may settle down and while we may recover from it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll reverse. Uh, Because, of course, we're all getting older. Um, so that's, that's a typical one. Another one, I guess, is, is the more conventional myths that people hear about in terms of what they would see on their Twitter or their Facebook. And sometimes these can be a little bit more towards the corporate end of things where there, there's a product obviously on offer and that they might be looking to be convinced that that's going to be the solution for their back pain and, the, and it's not. Um, as well as a spine surgeon, I guess I, I would, whenever I talk about surgery to patients, they would always have that fear that they're somehow going to end up in a wheelchair. And there are wild, crazy stories and there are very small instances of things going wrong with any surgery. But by and large, over 99% of spine surgeries uh, go well and certainly people don't end up in uh, wheelchairs. So there are a couple of the things that I would hear on a regular basis. Yeah, um, let's just go in a little bit more detail because I don't want to highlight them but the things that people are seeing online that are being shared what kind of products are you talking about? Um, <laughs> pneumatic devices that you can pump up that can splint your back um, vibration devices that can help you to uh, to loosen up um, juices creams pastes gels um and are they all nonsense or are they very specific in their application? I guess my my approach would be to, from a safety perspective. Are they validated? Is there evidence to back them up? And because some of them are spurious, there are ones that simply are unproven to help. And I guess as a doctor, the first principle is to make sure that they are not going to do any harm. And beyond that, then it's to see if there's an effect in combination with everything else. Um, there are very few silver bullets in life, obviously. And sure. I would imagine that from your point of view, prevention is where where we should be starting right? Uh, and the work environment being the yeah. thing that I suppose is most important. You said to me as you walked in there that we spend, most people spend on average how long in the same position? Yeah, so in developed countries about 40% of us spend at least two thirds of our day sitting down. Um, so I guess there's a huge desk worker component in that um, and with the pandemic obviously that went up and 
more so the fact that there were less commutes, less transitionary periods in our lives and a probably a more effective role at one's desk, albeit that it might be the kitchen table, as you say. So I guess because of that, there are inherent uh, problems that initially go under the radar first, but manifest in similar ways. I see I see it. Uh, quite frequently I see a similar constellation of symptoms in people I would say at a younger age now than we'll say in 15 or 20 years ago where in the elderly population who spent their day sitting down I'm seeing more of that in younger people who are sitting at their desks. And what's going wrong with them? Well because we sit at our desks uh, there's a con- there's a syndrome called lower crossed syndrome, which our physiotherapists will be very familiar with. And it's purely because of extended seating. It's called lower cross syndrome because there's a, con- there's a diagonal across the pelvis. If you look at the pelvis from the side, whereby the long muscles in the back are too tight and the hip flexors at the front are too tight. And then the opposite is true. The core muscles at the front are too loose and the gluteal muscles are too loose and too weak, okay? So you end up with a literal pain in the ass. So you you don't actually, what happens is it'll manifest as back pain because as I said, your long back muscles are too tight. They're overworked and your glute, your buttock muscles don't work as much, don't work as well. So when you've, and people, that's another myth. People say to me, I've always been told that I've had a weak back. The vast, vast majority of people, their back is too strong they overuse it, they overwork it and their glutes, their buttock muscles are too weak. So because your back is too strong and your hips are too weak, you get this pepper grinder effect, okay, whereby all of the back is doing the work as you're walking and not your hip muscles. And then you imagine if you've got a disc in there and you have a pepper grinder effect going on through that disc, it's quite easy to understand why you'd wear out that disc and also wear out the joints at the same level as the disc. So what should we be doing? Well, I suppose getting back to your original question about myths, I've heard the most flower descriptions of office chairs and and desks heights, desk heights and screen heights and mouse heights, keyboard heights. And actually, and I've heard about Italian leather office chairs and people really go all out on this stuff. But ultimately, it doesn't make that much difference. And the evidence is not that convincing from the medical literature that that makes that much of a difference because ultimately we're still all sitting down. Okay, but a okay. bad chair will make difference. Well, it? that has not been proven. Um, yes, a person will have back pain if they sit in a bad position or etc. But it's the very notion of exercise is what counteracts that more so than getting a better chair. So I would say while employers are investing in good tech for their employees in terms of making sure they're their ergonomics are optimised, that actually there's a far bigger role for ensuring that that employee has the opportunity mid-morning and mid-afternoon to get a proper stretch in, get a walk in, do a couple of those exercises to counteract the effects that I just described. And what that would mean really is that you'd stretch out those tight muscles and strengthen up those looser muscles. Um, so that, that's really important. And, and I would say, particularly in an era where we're developing, for example, digital hubs around the country, why not develop in that space a room where a person can go and stretch for mid-morning, mid-afternoon? Why not provide the employee with an online class? Because you have to remember, 
Back pain is the sixth highest reason why we miss days from work in the world. It's the most costly reason why we miss days from work in the world. So investing in employees' back pain is really important. Okay, some of the listener questions. Hi, Philip. I'm a young guy. I'm age 25. I have a question for Dr. Derek. I notice that when I'm standing for a long period of time, I notice my back gets stiff and sore. What can I do to lessen this? I'm standing for a long period yeah, so, of time. Yeah, so, so standing desks are obviously one of those techniques. A review done two years ago, actually looking at all of the research on prolonged standing, did not show a significant benefit over prolonged sitting. So uh, when I'm talking about exercise, I, I am talking about exercise. I'm not just talking about prolonged standing. So the, the solution to our problem is not to simply stand. It's more than that. It's to move around. OK. Philip, my back clicks and pops a lot and my knees pop when I stand up and sit down. What is that a sign of? Is it anything I need to worry about? It's it's a very generic symptom and difficult to put one's uh, finger on. And certainly in my experience, there's going to be a, a margin, a little bit of coupling, decoupling, a little bit of instability at a joint there. So attending a physiotherapist to identify that and to work on exercises to stabilise that is really important. Okay. The knee part of it is interesting. And that's really what I, what I see, because if it's a thing that your back becomes painful, you automatically start to stoop. OK, it's just something we do as we get older. And one of the measures that a person often naturally does when they stoop is they bend their knees in standing. So frequently as a person gets older, I would see associated symptoms in the knees as well as in the back. Good morning. I developed a pain in my right shoulder radiating to elbow and hand. I am on a non-steroidal for the past two weeks at attend physio. Query bulge to C4 to C5. Uh, is this serious? Will it require surgery? The pain is constant but manageable with NSAIDs, says Anne. Yeah, so I guess we need to be sure about our diagnosis. And that's the key thing, particularly as a spine surgeon. There's no point in talking about treatment until I'm sure about my diagnosis. And in that particular case, yes, it's going to be either shoulder shoulder or neck and frequently I would see coexistent pathologies where you'd see, you'd see both you'd see contribution from both but it's really important for that person to be sure is it the shoulder like a rotator cuff problem in the shoulder or is it a problem from the neck and yeah a C4 C5 disc in the neck can cause shoulder pain when I hear the term disc bulge it's really be really important what that means because we all get a bit of bulges in our discs um, as we go through life but the key thing is whether it compresses a nerve or not, because if it's just a disc bulge that doesn't compress a nerve, it's just a part of getting older. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. Mm -hmm. I cannot get a pillow to support me at night and it's really affecting my neck and back. Is there something I can do or who should I talk to? I wake up every morning with a pain in my neck and back. Go to a physio or physical therapist or manual therapist or somebody that you have a good relationship with who's uh, validated and registered in doing what they do to get an, a firm diagnosis and a programme for physical therapy treatment. I sit all day as part of my job. How often should I be moving around? Yeah, they, they, that person is just saying that they sit. They're not saying that they have problems yet. But I would say that that person, no more than any employee, needs to institute a routine uh, every day, I would say mid-morning and mid-afternoon. Um, what happens is, you know, the, the Zoom calls and the, the web calls and the, the, the Microsoft team calls and all of these, there's a temptation for that employee to turn off the camera and do their stretches while they're on a big call. But actually, as a society, we need to be better than that. We need to accept that people need that time to stretch out and do their exercises allowed in that time and not have to necessarily hide it when they're, when they're working from home. Dr. Derek Colley from Today with Philip Badger Hayes. 
And in the morning, Irish comedian Anna Clifford was telling Oliver Callan about her Edinburgh Fringe Festival show, I See Deadly People. Good morning, Oliver. How are you doing? Not so bad at all. And uh, you must be wrecked, um, even though you're not even halfway through this Edinburgh run, this month run. <laughs> what is? I am. I'm a bit exhausted, all right. How are you uh, saying this, by the way? I See Deadly People. I see deadly people. I just say it true to say oh, true, but I uh, I just kind of put the brackets around it for the to kind of let people in the UK know it's a it's a play on words rather than <laughs> you do have to explain it a bit when you're flyering to say you know in Ireland it means like brilliant excellence, not like. <laughs> I love how you're already treating them as uh, just ignorant on paddy matters and. <laughs> so what what is this show about then? I see deadly people. So it's kind of a personal story about embarking on like a wellness retreat four days before the lockdown was announced. I turned off my phone mm-hmm. and went to connect to Mother Nature and I came back to um, a pandemic, a boyfriend that ghosted me and a sick mum. And yeah, it's about positivity, positivity versus real life, I guess. So how, how do you get positivity out of those um, conniption load of, of issues and problems? Yeah, I know. It's funny. It's once you once you go through them, then you can look back. I think it's what we do. Our Irish people have a good uh, skill in that, and then just go, "Wow, that was a bit mad, wasn't it?" And now, now let's have a laugh. <laughs> we laugh at adversity. Uh, how's your mum doing, yeah. by the way? She's doing really well now. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm sure she's tuning into this actually. So, hello, mum. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, mum. Very, very. And you're you're from Hoth, are you? I'm from Hoth, yeah. My mum is, a, I, have an, I have an English mum and I have a dad. Ah. So I have a mum and a dad. <laughs> so you're well tuned to the uh, the issues between between us and them. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, 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 I am. <laughs> uh, uh, anything from Hoth actually that you can mine for comedy, by the way? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. You went for the wilderness, you see, didn't you, from Hoth? That's the whole point. Thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Like growing up in Hoth, you know, it's so difficult. So I need to go find myself a bit more. <laughs> so, so tell the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, people have heard of it and they know it's like a pilgrimage of comedians. So why, can you explain to us why do comedians feel they need to go there and why you felt you need to go there? God, I need to, I think I'm still figuring that out when I'm like 10 days in and looking at my calendar and there's another like 15 days to go. Yeah. But it is like I've, it's my first time being up here for a full, with my full first full hour. I've come up before to do the month, and you like split a half hour room with someone, and you have that person with you. So like it just seems like a it's like a comedian's rite of passage to come up and you know commit to it fully and do your show every single day. And like you said, I'm doing my own show show at nine p.m. for an hour, and then I do multiple ten minute spots throughout the day. Like I had two yesterday. I have another one tonight. And um, wow. to kind of like, yeah, just keep like honing the craft. So it's like a boot camp. Yeah. And um, it's like a master's in comedy, I say, because it is quite expensive to do. So, you, <laughs> and there might not be a job at the end of it, but like you get you get some skills. I've never been to to Edinburgh. Can you describe it? Like, I mean, there's literally shows going on all day, all the time, and oh, okay, comedians yeah. trying to sell tickets. Can you give, give us a, a flavour of what the street actually looks like? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know or has never been over to it, it is kind of hard to explain to you come because it is just madness. So Edinburgh, first of all, is like the most beautiful city in the world. It's like, you know, you're in like Harry Potter or something. And the streets are just taken over by, yeah, like people, like tourists. And you're, you're out there. Um, there's, there's like the biggest fest, art festival in the world. So people are doing street performances, theatre, dance, comedy. And shows started something like 8 a.m. until 3 a.m., in the, in the night uh, people are out on the streets flyering every day to like, get people into your show you can go see free shows but you pay what you want at the end you can go see paid shows 
You can go see really top comics. You can go see people starting off. So it's a real mixed bag, and I try and encourage anyone who comes over to try and, like, you know, go see some paid stuff, go see some free stuff, because you'll just see some, like, really incredible stuff and some really crap stuff, and that's the, that's the part of it. <laughs> that's the mix. Are you literally hustling on the street with flyers to get people into your show? Yeah, you have to do a bit of that. And I this year I have paid some people to do it with me, so that's nice, because mm. I've I'm, I'm, realised I'm not very good at selling myself. Oh, you're not um, I need to work on that. No, because they stop and they chat and they're like, is it any good? And I'm like, oh God, please don't ask me. <laughs> and how have the audiences been for you? Because we heard the story of uh, Robbie Granger, who, and, who's known now because he had the single audience member who bought one ticket for his show and he yeah. kind of, he went viral as, as a result of that. How have your audiences been? I've had really nice audiences so far. Yeah, thank God. Um, there's been, yeah, at least half my room has been full most of the time, if not full. So that's lovely. But I've been there before. You walk out, there's a few people there. I'm like, I'll still go if you guys want me to go. And then we have the crack. Or sometimes they look at you absolutely terrified. Um, and that's part of it as well. So, yeah, you hear about, you meet, you bump into other performers on the street. You ask them how their day is going. Some people are like, you know, they're like, I'm selling out. And other people are like, yeah, I had yeah, two people and a baby. And, you know. <laughs> Anna Clifford talking to Oliver Callan in the morning. And on the live line, Joe was following up on Katrina's call about the Puck Fair in Calorgan. Breaking news from the Calorgan Puck Fair. Calorgan Puck Fair, we just got this email from the, uh, to Katrina, who was on with us uh, on Monday, starting off this debate about the goat hanging up in the heat wave, which has now been extended uh, for three days in Calorgan. The goat went up at half six yesterday evening. Uh, Katrina's just got an email from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, which says the department has been in contact with the independent private veterinary practitioner attending the fair and welcomes the decision of the organisers, which has today been communicated to the department to take the goat down, to take the goat down at 11.30 this morning. Now, we need, there's anyone in the square in Kilorglin, any shop, any passers-by, anyone in a car that's listening, will you ring us on 0818-715-815 or joe at rt.ie, one text, to confirm that the department tell us they've been in contact with the independent private veterinary practitioner attending the fair and the department welcomes the decision of the organisers, which has today been communicated to the department to take the goat down at 11.30 this morning. Please let us know if that has actually happened, because uh, that is not what the organisers, up to two minutes past three yesterday when, when they were on the programme and saying, or they were on again, saying they were not changing their mind about the goat, even though the weather has actually got hotter than was even predicted. Then later, Joe welcomed Katrina back on air. Katrina, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How, How are, are you? you? So, well done. It's Katrina Lowry from the Hilltops uh, Sanctuary. Sanctuary. The, the department have said the GOAT, that they, they were in touch and the uh, their understanding is that the GOAT was to be taken down shortly after yes. they were in touch, which is 11.30 <laughs> yeah. this morning. Can we verify that the GOAT is down? No, I, no, I, can't, I haven't verified it yeah. and uh, nobody else has either. Well, they have to take it. It's, it's the Department of Agriculture. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. Now, the have just confirmed the King, King Puck, was taken down from his cage at the fair this morning. Oh, brilliant. That so, is great. And, and do you, mm-hmm. do you so know what's well, well, that? Well, everyone's saying it. All I need is eyes on at this stage. But I, I cannot <laughs> see how the organisers can defy the Department of Agriculture. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, and so you know what, Joe? Mm. 
I have to say, you know, the the last time you covered it, there was a lovely opportunity from that sculpture to offer a beautiful sculpture and, and rather than suspending a goat, you know, yeah. every year, you know. And that was Patrick O'Reilly who was on the programme yesterday. Now, the the organisers came on again yesterday. They, they protested a lot on... What, what day did we do? It's now Thursday, Tuesday, that they weren't getting... Mm-hmm. Uh, getting yes. award in edgeways. But I thought they were. But they were on again yesterday saying... But they came on again to say, we're not changing our mind. Well, it's been changed. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's been changed for them. Um, yes. So, so, um, so well done you, Katrina. And uh, your, <laughs> your, I, your battle now is to see can... can um, can that be held? Can can is that the end of the the tradition? Yes. But do I have to add, I am really just a messenger, a voice. I do feel passionately, but there, what the what the committee is not seeing, the level of public upset about this. Yeah, yeah. There is and even on with Philip Badger Hayes, there was an expert on who said this should not be happening. We can't argue with the legislation and we can't argue with experts, can we? You know? No, we can't. We can't. Yeah. Um, so the goat, the goat is down, and apparently the temperatures are now above twenty six down in Kilargan. Yes, but you know, under uh, in a metal cage, it would be higher, as you know, Job's metal rating. Oh, it would be. And but, I yeah. didn't, I didn't realize. I asked the question. I asked uh, Declan Falvey on Tuesday was how big is the cage? I said, yes. I Have said, you... <laughs> was it was it a car parking space, which is a measurement yes. most people know. And he, well, you said it wasn't. I, I thought it might be half a car parking space. Yes. But I saw a photograph this morning or yes. late last night. It's about one tenth yes. the size of a car parking space. Yes. So, yes. So wherever the goat goes to the toilet, he's sitting in line in that area, isn't he? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, where, where else would he go? But you know what, Joe? There's a real opportunity here for them to go around the world on every media if they change, if they, they end this because people people look to festivals going holding up their hands mm-hmm. and saying we can do better and I hope they do grasp this opportunity I really hope they do and and you know what because it's been an emotional few days because the level of hate has been crazy for trying to just get a goat out of Sorry, the sun the, the, the level of hate to who? Uh, well, like I, well, to lots of people, but including myself, everything from misogyny to telling me I'm looking for attention and telling me I am a plummy female <laughs> and uh, amongst plummy. other things. Yes, and my accent and I've nothing else to do and, I, and I'm not helping the homeless. <laughs> but you know what? I, at the moment, I'm helping 120 abused animals. That's my no. my part to play in the world, you know. Well, that's Katrina on the live line with Joe Duffy. And back to Oliver Callan and his fascinating chat with zoologist Collie Ennis. And this question from listener Pat about wasps. Do wasps ever sting other wasps and do bees kill other bees? Asked Pat. Um, I, the, the wasps, the wasps, I've no wasp predate on other invertebrates. I've never seen one have a go at, at another wasp, perhaps a different species of wasp. Oh, yeah. But uh, this is the time of year now where you'll see wasps actually tackling the likes of flies, butterflies, even spiders. There's a lot of wasp uh, species that specialise in eating spiders and that's to bring back to feed their young in the hive and then the young produce a kind of a sugary substance that feeds the worker wasps now when the queen wasp produces her heirs to her throne as in the the 
the new queens that will leave the the colony collapses. There's no more young being born, so there's no more sugary food for the workers. And then uh-huh. they go AWOL and that's when they start attacking people having their cider in the park or that's your ice cream. So that's what's happening there. And uh, someone asked, asked us earlier on about uh, the, the, the wasp nest they have in the front of their house. And it's obviously, they've been stung twice, put in the old wasp nest spray. Yeah. Um, I, you look sad to hear I these know, things. Yeah. yeah, It's, look, come here. It's, it's one of those things. It's hard to live with, especially if you have young kids or pets around um, because they can get a little bit aggressive. Um, so it's probably a job for a pest control company. But if you can avoid that kind of stuff uh, at all or leave it as late as possible, that would be ideal. What's late for the one? Well, as late as when the queens have left the, the nest, so into like September. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's going <laughs> to... Well, come here, since you've rumbled my urban legend that spiders got bigger because of climate change and so on, are wasps hanging around a bit later than they used to? You know, the kind of drunken wasp that shows up at Christmas. Yeah, well, well, I mean, like, we do seem to be getting, like, uh, uh, later summers and longer summers. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as the, the temperatures keep to a certain level all those insects that would normally die off in cold patches will actually hang around that little bit longer because the frost kind of gets rid of like yeah, midges well, and so on doesn't and it and knock a lot of them on the head yeah that's just part of the natural cycle and our the, climate change is fewer frost nights isn't it in Ireland so there's going to be I'm not a climate expert but anecdotally <laughs> I would say yeah that seems to be the case and I've noticed that I've noticed that I'm seeing things a lot later in the year over the past number of years myself so so the drunken wasps are, are a thing for us. <laughs> yeah. Holly Ennis talking to Oliver Callan in the morning. And on today with Philip Outer Hayes, Catherine Carton of Dainty Dress Diaries was talking about DIY and interiors for renters. Interior design magazines and home renovation TV shows often overlook renters, the people who can't add a lick of paint to the kitchen, knock down walls or drive screws into the wall. So how can you spruce up a rental property without causing the landlord too much distress? Well, for the final part of our Home Hacks series, we are going to hopefully answer just that. Catherine Carton is a DIY blogger and author of Dainty Dress Diaries. She joins me now in studio. Good morning. How are you? Good. Dainty Dress Diaries. I love that. Where did that come from? Um, Well, I'm four for 11 and three quarters. I like to wear a dress. And years ago, when you had to set up a blog, your name was too basic and you had to have some sort of tagline. So (laughs) it kind of (laughs) stuck. Dainty Dress Diaries. Um, As a renter, you usually can't change the colour of the paint, but there are ways of changing the colour scheme without doing that. So when you think of a room, so your walls um, and the wood trim and the furniture, you can't really change. But when you look at a room, you can do so much when it comes to rugs, lighting, lampshades, light fixtures. Um, You can even change up some of the pieces of furniture if you have your own stuff. Um, Cushions, cushion covers, wall art, textures, fabrics, throws. Like there's loads of ways you can add colour that's not necessarily by painting a wall. Lighting as well. Yeah, so if you want to, especially I'm thinking of kind of like, you know, maybe students and like student accommodation. And if you want to add like that cosy feeling coming into autumn, like string lights are really fun to play around with and creating like a fun atmosphere. Or if it's like a living room and maybe the natural daylight isn't great, you can have fun with like taller lamps in a corner or you can have like a smaller reading lamp next to on a little table in the evening. So play with lighting. And, and you 
can play with the bulbs in those you as could, well. Can yeah, completely you change the mood. Go full on, put a little disco bulb in there. If it well, but even just going from a softer yellow colour. Softer to lighting, yeah. So if it is a dark room, you can lighten it up. But then also if it's a really bland white room in the evenings, if it's feeling a bit too harsh, you can play around with warm lighting and textures and things yeah. like that. Um, something that listeners might not have considered, removable wallpaper and stick-on tiles. Yeah, now this comes with a warning because I did test out some stick-on wall tiles for you to see if they were any good. So definitely get a tester pack or a swatch if you can when it comes to removable wallpaper and stickers. So I got like a cheap wall tile pack, pack of 10 to test them out. And they lasted about a week. So sometimes I think cheap, like you might not have the budget, but it might be better to save money instead of investing on these stick on items. Okay. So and were you left with a sticky mess all over the wall? I did have down? a little sticky residue. So that's something to bear in mind because if you want to, you know, social media and search for like, you know, home hacks, do take some of them with a pinch of salt. So there's a trend at the moment for sticky vinyl flooring. And my first thought was I don't think that's renter friendly because if you go to peel that off oh. are you going to be left with sticky residue and I don't if I was a landlord I don't think I'd be too happy with some sticky residue why would anybody renter or not anyway want tiles for a week just a week? I mean, that's pretty short-lived, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think it's people who might be in like a little bit longer rented accommodation and they might want to do something in the bathroom. They might do like a sticky floor or maybe a sticky tile, maybe if they're in it like for more than a year or yeah. something like that. The thing that marks out most rented accommodation is the big, bare, boring walls that nobody's yes. allowed to put a hook or a screw or a nail into. So, so we what's can your have solution? fun with this one. So I have a couple of solutions. So um, you could do a lovely gallery wall with loads of secondhand frames. I am totally guilty of having thousands of photos on my phone and not print them. So if you have like travel pictures and stuff, even print them off in black and white, get loads of different wooden frames. They don't have to be like the same. And you can do like a gallery wall above, you know, a sofa or in a hallway to brighten it up. And if you are going to be sticking things onto the wall so you can get the sticky hooks and then just make sure that some people say, oh, I got those sticky hooks, but they just fell off. But most of them will have like a weight um, that they can take. So you might be buying a sticky hook that just can't take the weight of the frame. Mm. Catherine Carton from Today with Philip Outer Hayes. And that's it for Playback Daily. So mind yourself till next time.